Once again, we are back in the book of Mark, picking up where we left off in this consecutive expository series on Mark's gospel. Mark has fairly recently been putting on a light show of Jesus's miracles and of his mighty acts and showing in these epic accounts, three epic accounts of Jesus' mastery over nature, over demons, and over disease and even death itself. And then, no sooner than that, he's back again putting incredible feats that Jesus was accomplishing and doing before us. Last time, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the, what is called the feeding of the 5,000. Previously, Jesus fed 5,000 men, and there were women and children. It was many more than that, but that was just the count, head count of the men, demonstrating that he was the greater Moses who fed the people of Israel in the wilderness. Jesus, in this wilderness place, fed more than 5,000, many more. And today we're going to see an even greater manifestation of who Jesus really is. Mark is going to once again shine the spotlight on the deity of Jesus Christ. Our scripture reading comes from Mark chapter 6. If you want to follow along in your pew Bibles or on the screen or on your device, Mark chapter 6, beginning at verse 45 through verse 56, the end of the chapter, 45 through 56. Hear the word of the Lord with careful attention and appreciation. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. But when he saw them, when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astonished. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. And when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran all about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever 
they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages and cities or countryside, they laid their sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. The grass withers, the flower fades, but God's word remains and abides forever. Let's ask his blessing upon it. Heavenly Father, once again, we don't have ears to hear. And there are no words that humans can speak that will change us from the inside out. But Lord, you have sent your Holy Spirit and you have given us your true word so that we might hear truth and give us faith to respond to it and help us to see the glory of your majestic son today in this passage as he is revealed more clearly. And we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. This account of Jesus walking on the water that we just read and the previous messages um, account of his feeding the 5,000 are two of the best known events Best aware of events in all of the Gospels. But between them, there is this very interesting little segue, is what we, I suppose, could call it. This sort of turn to another, between the two, there's this segue, this little account that we shouldn't overlook. And we're going to see that is one of the things that this segue that causes the disciples to be very perplexed. Today's outline is simple. It goes like this. The perplexity, the peril, and the popularity. The perplexity is that of the disciples. The peril, also the disciples were very much at the center of that because of what Jesus was doing. And then the popularity That was continuing as the people continued to flock to him when he reached the other side. That's where we're going today. So let's dig in. The perplexity. What do I mean by that? Well, Mark does not tell us why Jesus was so abrupt. He uses one of his favorite words again, immediately. That's one of those words you see over and over and over in Mark. It's He's saying he's trying to purposely tie these two things together of the feeding of the 5,000 and of the Jesus walking on the water because there's something in common that they both are getting at and that the disciples don't get. And so it's, he says they immediately, Jesus told them to get in the boat and go to the other side, that's to Bethsaida, where they had been before in other journeys, they were more in the Capernaum area and they were getting ready to go to the other side. But it's the disciples going alone. Jesus is not going with them. And I'm sure they were absolutely confused and dazed by that. Why in the world, especially after what Jesus had just done? But he said, I'm staying behind and dismissing the people. You go ahead of me. His directions to the disciples, as I said, were no doubt perplexing. I mean, think about it. Here's Jesus performing 
something that's never been performed on the planet or ever will be in the way that he did what he did. And yet, here they are having this incredible mountaintop experience on that hillside, literally, and they're seeing their rabbi in all of his glory and his power and they've done this great thing and they participate and we're part of it and they're looking to go pop the cork on some champagne and celebrate but Jesus instead says no you go ahead of me to the other side no no time at all given to celebration there's no celebration and on top of that Jesus is staying there and dividing his force. He's not going with them. They've got to be scratching their heads at that. They can't, what is this? This doesn't make any sense. Why didn't we stay and kind of you know, lavish the, 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 the sunshine, you know, enjoy the moment, carpe diem? Why didn't we do that, Master? But Jesus says, nope, you get in, go ahead of me. I'll catch up with you later. And then, of course, Jesus goes up to pray. But this raises the question, why did Jesus do that? Why did he shoo them off ahead of him? Why didn't he let them stay with him? And why did he get, dismiss the crowd? Well, we don't know for sure. But this we know. There have been other attempts already where the crowds had become so great and the frenzy of Messianic fever was growing and growing and growing. And Jesus knew that his time was not yet. It was not yet. Things had to happen in accordance with his father's plan. And he was concerned perhaps that there were attempts that after this great miracle that might be made if he stayed around and the disciples, and the disciples were surely into this, they would have been feeding it too, this messianic fervor. Perhaps it would get out of hand and change the course that Jesus and the plan that he was on. The disciples were likely jazzed and with the whole notion, and it may have been Jesus' way of heading off a spontaneous move to try to make him king or declare him king or and something like that prematurely. So that is probably as good of any reason that I can see of why Jesus may have literally shut, cut short and sent them on ahead. Now, so, and secondly, we run into the peril. And that's in verses 47 through 52. They're perplexed, but the disciples are obedient. This time they do what the master said. They said, okay. We don't get it, Jesus, but you said go, we'll go. Peter said, come on, boys, we're going. So they got in the boat, hoisted the sail, decided to tack on over to, um, uh, to Bethsaida. Only problem was there was a very strong headwind against them, and they were going nowhere. So they brought the sails down. They realized that's futile. That's not going, going against us. We can't, we can't tack against that kind of wind. We got, we got to put the So we're going to grab the oars, and they started rowing. And they rowed, and they rowed hard, and they were experienced fishermen, and Peter was big and burly, and they were putting everything they had into it, but guess what? They were getting nowhere. They were not just not getting to where they were supposed to be going, they were getting blown further 
out into the middle of the lake, further away from the land. The situation was beginning, becoming very, very frustrating for the disciples. Uh, I think we have a map uh, of the Michael there. I don't have my, the pointer, but you see up the top there, Bethsaida, that's where they were trying to go. They were coming from Capernaum. They were trying to go somewhere in that area, and yet they were getting blown out somewhere more like where the O or A of uh, Sea of Galilee is written there. They were in that, in that region. They were getting blown further and further away. They weren't getting to where they were trying to go at all. Jesus was observing their struggles on a hillside. Maybe it was a moonlit night. Maybe Jesus was able to see and saw that his disciples were in trouble on the water. There sure wouldn't have been at this time of night, the fourth watch, there wouldn't have been anybody else uh, out there. And, uh, and Jesus saw that they were in trouble. And from that, it's called, it, uh, Mark tells us it was the fourth watch. And if you know anything about Roman, ancient Roman time, the fourth watch would have been basically 3 a.m. to dawn. It would have been the very waning hours of the night is when Jesus then decided to come to their aid. Now, notice verse 48b. I want to just draw your attention to that. Uh, Very important because this is often missed and misunderstood. In 48b, the second part, And it says, and it was about the fourth watch of the night, and he came to them walking on the sea. And here's the really important part. He meant to pass by them. Now, what does that mean? What what is Mark trying to picture, tell us here? Is Is he basically like some people think that, Jesus decided, uh, okay, the boys are in trouble, and so I'm going to go out for a moonlight stroll on the water um, and uh, treading on the water, and I'm going to walk by and say, hey, guys, it's me. How you doing? And walk on by. You think that's what he's, it kind of sounds like it, just looking at it on face value. But, oh, no, there's so, so much more here than that. So much more going on. You see, the walking on the water itself, was once again another way that Mark is telling us how Jesus is showing who he really is. As he walks on the water, he's not just doing a prophet or a rabbi doing something extraordinary. He is walking on the water in that imagery as well as the passing by language that Mark uses goes way back into Israel's history. Let me read you a few Examples from Job 9, verses 8, 10, and 11, and also from Exodus 33, 18 to 23. See if you can pick up some of the threads of this. Job said, who alone, referring to God, who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea. Trampled, he walked on the waves of the sea. That is Job describing God, and that is Mark describing God. And then he says, who does great things beyond searching out and marvelous things beyond number. Behold, he passes by me, and I see him not. He moves on, and I do not perceive him. And you know what? That was a good thing. 
that Job didn't. Because if he had seen him and perceived him, you will understand why when you read now Exodus 33, 18 through 23. Listen, Moses said to God, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot, talking to Moses, God was talking to Moses, you cannot see my face for a man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, there's that language. I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I pass by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back. But my face cannot be seen. That's what was happening. Jesus, good thing he didn't come jump in the boat with them as he was coming toward them and made it straight way. Would have been something out of a, a Raiders of the Lost Ark melting imagery that could not have looked upon Jesus, the incarnate son of the living God. God was treading the waves on that night and Jesus knew they could not look upon him. In that theophic, theophic uh, manifestation. A, a, a theophany is a manifestation of God. And Jesus at that moment, as it were, was pulled open the, and you saw the, who he really is, the S on Superman. And he pulls open. That's what was happening. Jesus was somehow in that moment his real glory was being revealed. Remember later on, it would happen in the transfiguration, on the Mount of Transfiguration, that same glory would be seen from afar by the disciples. But they couldn't be in the midst of it. You see, there was so much more that is going on. Whether it was Abraham, whether it was Moses, whether it was Elijah, when God showed himself to men, his glory could only pass by for a look on God directly was fatal. And accordingly, Jesus' arrival, <laughs> when he did that basically cloak and seal that again, and when he then came toward them and got in the boat with them, that, when they saw that coming, that did not encourage them. Jesus' presence did not encourage them at all. Matter of fact, it terrified them. The peril here is their peril as they saw the one walking on the water. They saw in the, in the water this specter, what they considered a phantasm, a, a ghost walking on the water, and it absolutely scared the gajibis out of them. Here, the specter comes walking by them, treading the pre-dawn waters, and this glowing ghost on the water is what they saw. And now they saw that whatever turning and coming toward them. Obviously, Jesus veiled what they were seeing from afar, or else 
they could not have approached them. You see, Jesus said to them a very interesting phrase. He said, the translation in your Bible may say something like, it is me, it is I. But that's not really what was said. The Greek that was used is a term, ego, I me. If you just say I me, that's, that's fairly common. Hey, it's me. This is much richer and deeper. The very, it's the very phrase through which God revealed himself to Moses in Exodus chapter 3, 14. I am, say that I am sent you. John, in his gospel, does this over and over. Think of all the I am sayings. When Jesus said before Abraham was, I am. This is Jesus again using that language. He is telling his disciples, guys, you don't get it, but you're looking at the great I am. You're looking into the face of God. And I'm here, and I'm with you. And immediately, the wind stopped. Once again, all of this was putting the spotlight on Jesus' divinity. That's what Mark is doing. Jesus is revealing himself, manifesting who he really is to the disciples as he walks on the water. And yet, they still hadn't figured it out. They still don't get it. All of this was shining the spotlight on Jesus. Last week we saw Jesus as the greater Moses. Now Mark is saying he's not just the greater Moses. He's not so much better than Moses. He is the great I am himself. Revealing his glory. But in verse 52... Mark says the disciples didn't get it. They didn't understand it. And specifically, he says, they didn't understand the loaves. Well, they didn't understand the loaves for the same reason they didn't understand the walking on the sea. Here are these absolutely, how can you not get it? That nobody does that, this human. This, both of these are displays of Jesus' divinity. And yet, the disciples still had figured it out. They should have seen the, the, the manifestation of the loaves and the feeding of the 5,000. And they know, guys, we're not with one of us. This isn't just a rabbi. This, only God can do this. But they didn't. And Jesus says, and Mark says, it was because of the hardness of their heart. It was because of the hardness of their heart. That's not a really good commentary on them or on us, is it? You see, they didn't understand. Simply put, they should have understood that the one who could multiply bread and walk on water is God incarnate. And Mark says it was because their hearts were were hard. By the way, if somebody tells you, when people fail to understand that Jesus is God, when they deny that or they reject that, it's not because they need more evidence. It's not because it's not clear enough and plain enough. It's not because they're unintelligent or not smart enough. It's because their hearts are hardened. 
It's because they willfully have said. You, you know, recall in Romans 1, when God is talking about how everything that he's done has made, been made abundantly clear so that everyone can know. There is no excuse to not know that there's a God. There really is no atheist. There are just those that refuse to believe that God is really there. And so they pretend that he's not. They tell themselves or they're angry with him. But they know. But they've hardened their heart like Pharaoh did so that they're without excuse. So it's not a lack of information that people don't know who Jesus is when they have been confronted with things like this. The creation has made it clear. And yet it took this special revelation, this special manifestation of Jesus' glory to understand that God had come to us. Not just that he was there as the builder and architect of the universe, and of the world in which we live, the creator. But he had come as the redeemer in Jesus Christ with all the power and privileges and rights of God, but he came to redeem us. Now you see the popularity that unfolds in the last two, two verses, 51 and 52. Mark ends the portion of this account with Jesus and his disciples ending up on the shores of Gennesaret. And that on the, uh, the, was on the uh, further over to the west and a little bit further to the south. So they had been blown back and they end up turning course and land there. And that is where they, once again, as soon as the crowd see him coming, they spot him and here comes the press again. Once again, Jesus' popularity is on display as the crowd mobs him and his disciples. And then they go out and they start getting all their sick and relatives and they just try to get them close to Jesus in hopes that they can just touch him. And the amazing thing is when they reached out to just touch him, they were healed. Person after person after person. (laughs) Just despite mistaken Hopes, despite mixed motives, despite hard-heartedness, here's the encouragement. Jesus was compassionate with all who reached out to him. He always is. If we will admit our need and our desperateness and our sickness and call upon the great physician, reach out to him, Jesus didn't turn any of them away. So my friends today, let's worship the king who walked on water and will one day come again. And he has come to make us whole and well because of what he has done on the cross and his mighty resurrection. Let's worship him. Let's pray. Father, we ask you now to once again draw near to us. Let us feel your presence, Lord Jesus. Let us, let us bask in your glory as our rightful king, as the one who is, treads upon the waters, for the Lord, the very waters that you made and showed us and came to us in a way that, that we could understand 
and we could see you and be with you, Lord. And, and Lord, thank you for the faithful testimony of the scriptures that tell us of your mission to come and find us. And Lord, bring us home. Father, we thank you for that. And we pray now that once again, we will, Lord, be faithful followers of yours, that our hearts would not be hardened, that we would not be insensitive, but, but be willing to believe in what we see you doing and what you have promised. And we pray all this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.